Well, I am very excited this morning. We have an excellent, excellent crowd. Uh, the singing has been beautiful. I'd I, I love to just keep on singing. Uh, thank you, song leaders. Uh, first song really got me going. In fact, I had to, I had to settle it down a little bit. You know, I, I'm still working on getting my wind all back and started realizing after that song, you better settle down. You're not, you're not going to have anything left. So, uh, wonderful. Thank you, song leaders. Beautiful songs. Great crowd. Uh, I've seen some people here I uh, have not seen for a while. And it's uh, such a blessing uh, to see you, to see everyone here. So thank you all for, for being here. Thank you, Neil, for the prayer on my behalf. I certainly uh, need God's help. And I certainly want to give Him the, the, all the, the honor and glory. And certainly my prayer that the things that we studied will be a help to you as they have been for me. The grass is greener on the other side. You know, we've heard that uh, saying uh, so many times that the grass is greener on the other side. And we go through this thing of, you know, if, if I just had this, you know, I, I would be content. I, I would have what I need. If I just have that. If I just had this much, boy, that, that's just what I need. That would clear everything up and I would have, uh, you know, enough that I need. If my wife, if my husband was just this, boy, everything would be perfect. If my children were just this, boy, everything would be, everything would be great and boy, I, I would be happy. If my parents would just be like this, that's all I need. And what we end up doing is that we're like this cow. You know, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of grass on the side that cow's on, but he wants the grass on the other side. And that's too often is how we are in our lives and we're not content. But you know, there is a formula for contentment. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment, with contentment is great gain. So here's a formula. Those of you math people out there and not math people, godliness plus contentment equals great gain. It's a really easy formula. It's a successful formula. It's something that will bring great gain and has been from the creation and still does. But we struggle with getting the formula right. And it's hard for us to do sometimes. And a lot of times the hardest part of that is we don't know what great gain is. What is great gain? Well, ultimately, the greatest of all gain is the kingdom of heaven. It's a home in heaven. It's eternity where there's no tears, where there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness, a new body that's, that's made to last forever in a home with God and Jesus and the church. For eternity. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That's the greatest of all gain. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 44, as Christ teaches, He says again, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found that one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. So here we see uh, this man that, that 
discovers this treasure in this field. And he knows that treasure is worth everything. It's worth everything that he has. And he wants that field so that he can get that treasure and nothing else that he has is anywhere near as valuable as that thing. So he sells it all. Gets rid of everything so that he can get the best. And then the man seeking pearls. Sure experienced pearl getter. And he probably has a lot of pearls. And he's probably seen a lot of pearls in his life. But when he sees that one, when he finds that one that's the best, that one's to the greatest value, sells it all. I don't care about any of this other stuff, any of the other pearls. I want this one. That's great game. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is for us. Matthew 16 and 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Our soul is the most precious thing that we have. And very sadly, many exchange their souls for gain that's not really gain. They think it's gain. It's gain that the world would say is gain. They think, if I just have this, that's going to make me happy. That's going to be all the gain that I need, and that's going to make me content. But unfortunately, it's not. And many, sadly, exchange their soul for some amount of money that they're trying to get. Or some job that they completely pour themselves into for the prestige or the money or whatever it is and neglect their family and then neglect their service to God. Or so many other things that we put before God, anything that we put before God is a gain that we think is there, is something that we really want and need and is going to make us happy and then we find out that it's not. Because it's not great gain. Our soul is the most precious thing. We need to do everything that we can to make sure that it spends an eternity in heaven. But you know, great gain is also found in this life. 1 Peter 3 and 10 says, For the he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So loving life and good days, that's talking about here. That's talking about the now. Here on this earth, us walking around and breathing and interacting with people. So says, if you want to love that, if you want to enjoy it, if you want to see some good days, here's some advice. Refrain your tongue from evil and make sure that your lips, they speak no guile. Well, why? Well, because if we keep, if we, our tongue gets us in so much trouble. And we can read about that in the book of James and how much trouble it is. But our tongue will get us in trouble. But what if we just refrain our tongue from evil? Well, for one, our marriages are going to be a whole lot better. Relationship with our children, relationship with the people we work with, all those things, if we just keep our tongue, we can keep ourselves from getting in a whole lot of trouble, causing a lot of misery, hurting people's feelings, feeling bad about it, having to cover our tracks, fixing what we've said. <coughs> what if we just keep our tongue? What if we just don't speak any guile? We can avoid so much trouble... And things that we have to fix and relationships that are broken, if we'll just do that. And that's part of being, that's part of being godly. 
1 Timothy 4 and verse 8 says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. So bodily exercise profits a little. We can get in shape. You know I need to do that. But you know what? It's not going to last. I don't care how much you exercise. I don't care how, how good you eat. If God continues to give you time on this earth, your body is going to continue to get older and it's going to continue to not to get worse as far as working right and feeling good and it's just going to wear down as the years go by. We know that. And it doesn't matter how much you exercise or how good you eat. Is there some profit in it? Absolutely. Little. You can feel, you can feel better and be in shape and be more productive in this life. In this life. But you know, there's also profit, little, little profit in, you know, in other things. I find some profit in fishing. I love to go fishing. It's relaxing. Gets me out. Gets me not to thinking about work and just having fun and enjoy God's creation. And there's a little pleasure in that. But you know, I'm going to get someday, if God gives me the time, I'm probably going to be where I can't fish. And you know, what good is that going to do me in eternity? It's a little profit in this life. The money, everything, all, all these worldly things that we think will bring us contentment, there might be a little gain in, in some of it or maybe a little gain in most of it. But it's just a little gain. What we need to be most interested in is the great gain. And godliness is profitable in all things. Having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Now that's great gain. That's something that's going to last. We live godly in this life. There's rewards in this life for that. There's good, strong families, happy families that results in a family that's living godly. There's job people that are successful with their jobs as employees and employers when they do godly things and act in a godly way and we're, we get to enjoy those things. There's things in this life and fishing that when it's used in a godly way that's, that's enjoyable and, and if I conduct myself godly and I don't uh, you know, do things that I, that I shouldn't and start loving fishing so much that I quit serving God, you know, all those things can get in the way. But godliness is going to be profitable now and giving us happy in, happiness and contentment, but especially in the life to come. That great gain. So godliness plus contentment is great gain. The first thing, the first part of the equation we want to look at is godliness. I talked a little bit about godliness the last time I spoke, just briefly. Godliness means to live reverently, loyally, and obediently to God. In the past, I thought before I really did much of a word study on this, I just thought of that, you know, being like God. That's not what that means. It's a way that we live that gives reverence to God. It's being loyal to Him, being obedient to Him. To have a deepening commitment to live for God and to always be mindful of God and His will. When we think about what we, what we think, the things that we say, the things that we do, if all of it is honoring God in our attempt to honor God and we're always mindful of that, that's living godly. That's godliness. Godliness. 
In Titus, the second chapter, beginning in verse 11, says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So we need to deny ungodliness. Those things that don't bring honor to God. Those things that don't reverence Him. Those things that keep God out of the equation. We don't need to be involved in those and we need to deny those. We need to deny ourselves of ungodliness and lusts. Things that's going to make us unhappy now, but especially in eternity. And why do, we, why do we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world? Because of verse 13. Because we're looking for that blessed hope. A world that's walking around with their head down, discontent, unhappy, nothing's right, complaining. They got no hope. They're not looking for that hope. And because of that, they got nothing to look forward to other than this life. And this life is hard. And this life can cause a bunch of discontent if we're thinking that the great gain is in this life. And with that blessed hope, we need to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works, living godly. We need to do that for Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity. And so I would be purified. Purified from the world. Different. A different attitude than the world. Attitude that's content with the grass that we have, rather than the grass that's on the other side. You know, the morals of society just seem to be becoming looser and looser. And it can affect us. And it can affect us the way that we think and our attitude and the joy that we have. And we need to avoid those things. In Romans the 6th chapter, beginning in verse 20, says, For when we were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye when those things were of you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says, when you were the servants of sin, the question is, what fruit did you have? What fruit did you have in the sin? Think about the sins that I've committed in my life. What fruits do I have from that? What become of that? Shame? Nothing good. But now, being made free from sin and become the servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness. Those fruits of the Spirit are the things that we need in our life rather than the ungodliness. And that's going to bring us contentment in this life but in the end, everlasting life. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus. We can never be good enough. We can never be godly enough. We can't have enough godliness in our life to deserve it. But by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, we're redeemed. Free from sin. Free from its consequences. John the 15th chapter verse 9 says, As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. Jesus says, when you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And He tells us this, so that my joy will remain in you and that your joy might be full. Isn't that what we all want? Full joy. If it's in a container, it's just falling over the edges because there's so much. That's what we can have when we're content. And half of the equation of contentment is godliness. You want joy? Keep those commandments that Christ has given us. Second half of the formula is contentment. Most of us have experienced a lack of, commit, of uh, contentment in our life. I know there's certainly been times in my life where I'm not content. Should be. But I'm not. The world says more and more and more will just make you happier and happier and happier. But we know that's not right. We know that there's never enough. We can see people, so many famous people and rich people who just have miserable lives because that's not going to do it. That's not going to give them contentment. The world says more and more, but God says enough is enough. You be content with enough. If we're content with enough, then it's easy to be happy. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. The Apostle Paul clarifies in Philippians, the fourth chapter. Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So Paul clarifies with, no matter the circumstances, be content. In 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, and we've, we've looked at this in, in several of the recent lessons, the perils that Paul went through, the much suffering that Paul went through, the scourgings, prisons, being stoned, being shipwrecked, being hungry, being thirsty, all the things that he suffered for the cause of Christ. Yet what did he say? I have learned. 
I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It doesn't come quickly. It doesn't come easily. And it doesn't come naturally. But it is something that like the Apostle Paul that we must learn. And whether with or without, I need to be, I need to learn to be content with what I'm blessed with. I don't have to have this to be content. I'm blessed with this. And I need to be content with that. I need to be happy with that. I need to be grateful and thankful for that. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good for them that love God to them who are called according to His purpose. Again, we've, we've talked about this a lot. This is talking about spiritually good. It's not talking about physically. It's not talking about health. It's not talking about prosperity. It's talking about all things work together for good spiritually for those that love God. You know, as Paul suffered, as he was scourging, is that all things working for good? Was that good? When they threw rocks at Paul until they thought he was dead? Is that good? When he was in prisons? Was that good? When he was shipwrecked? When he didn't have anything to eat, when he was thirsty, when he was cold. Was that all things working together for good? It was spiritually. It was spiritually. But not in the ways that, that the world and too often us think is good. Think that brings us contentment. You know, most of y'all know that I had a hospital stay this, this last year. And I, I'd never been in the hospital for, any, for much of a length of time. And, you know, and as that wore on, it was a little different. And a lot of y'all other ones have been in the hospital and things, you know, within the last year. But, you know, I, I couldn't see anybody I loved. Some of y'all came to my window, and I can't tell you what a blessing that was to me. Probably shouldn't have went there. <clears throat> but not being able to see the people that I love for a lot of those days, so sick I couldn't talk because of what I did, I just coughed my head off. You know, when I, I hadn't experienced anything like that before. The people, the, nur the nurses, and God bless them, they were wonderful. But, you know, dressed up like astronauts and, you know, it really had some time to think about things. And it gave me an opportunity to get some things right spiritually in my head. And you know what? The hospital stay was good for me. It was a blessing for me. Because all things work together for good for those that love God. And I love God. And He used that as an opportunity to bless me. And He'll use everything that happens in this life. And everybody's going to have those storms. The wise, the unwise, everybody has to face those storms of life and they're going to come. But they can be good for us. 
And they don't have to ruin our lives. And they don't have to make us miserable. And we can keep the joy that we have through Christ that's full. And we can continue to be content when we're spiritually mature. When we love God, continue to love God, and to serve Him. Contentment is not getting what you want. The world runs to anything and everything but God chasing contentment. What keeps us from being content? Well, one of the most obvious is money and possessions. When we go back to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, it goes on, verse 9 to say, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So here, list you the reasons why. That's not going to bring contentment. It's going to bring misery. Number one, you fall into a temptation and a snare. Temptation that if we don't have a lot of money, we may not have such those temptations. And a snare. A trap that's extremely difficult to get out of. The more you struggle, the tighter it gets. That's not a place we want to be. It brings about many foolish and hurtful Lusts. You know, when you have money, you can pretty much buy whatever sin you want. And sadly, that's how many with a lot of money live. And it ruins them in so many ways. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. It causes us to err from the faith. We end up putting our faith in something else. Pierce themselves through with many sorrows. You know, you think about Pierce. I got a, I got a thorn in my knee that went in my knee about that far this weekend. Hurt. Still hurts. That's a piercing. Pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Does that sound like something we want? Does it sound like if, if I can just get this much, I'm, boy, I'd be set. No. It brings about all this other. That's not what we need. Proverbs, the 15th chapter. Solomon said, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox in hatred therewith. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. When those other things, treasures, things of this life, when those are the most important to us, when that's the gain that we think we need to be happy and content, all that's going to do is bring us trouble. It's not great gain. Better is little with the fear of the Lord. That's great gain. That's great gain that's going to serve us in this life and especially in eternal life. Not great treasure. Better is a dinner of herbs. Better is a, is a dinner of just vegetables. 
because that's what we can afford, where love is. A home where we're provided for, we have something to eat, maybe not the best, but we have a happy and content family, grateful with what, what we're given. And that's better. We may have prime beef in the stall. Because we can afford that. And that's the greatest stuff. But we sacrificed our family so that we can get those things. And our, and our family is miserable. And we can't get along with our spouse. And our, we've provoked our kids to wrath through all this. And we have a completely unhappy home. Oh, but I've got money and I've got beef on the table. You know, Solomon had it all. He had more riches than we can imagine. He had the wives in misery therewith. The wisdom of Solomon is something we all, we all need to look at and make a part of our lives. Psalms 37 and 16 says, A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Again, in this life, we may not have a lot. But if we live a righteous, God, righteous life, pleasing to God, that's better. That's great gain. That's gain in this life and especially in eternal life. And it's so much better than what this world has to offer. There's a gentleman by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. He was a Puritan in the 1600s, and he wanted to purify the Church of England from, the Roman, from Roman Catholicism. And he did a lot of writing, and he described contentment as a rare jewel. And he said this, A Christian comes to contentment not so much by way of addition as by way of subtraction. Contentment did not, does not come by adding to what you have, but by subtracting from what you desire. The world says that you will find contentment when your possessions rise to meet your desires. The Christian has another way to contentment. That is, he can bring his desires down to his possessions. I thought there's a lot of wisdom in that writing. Because so much, you know, we think, if I can just get to here with my money, if I can just get to here with my possessions, if I can, my wife will just get to here, if my husband will just get to here, if my kids will just get to here. And we're never content. Never happy. Never good enough. Always down, complaining. But what if we bring our desires down to what God has abundantly blessed us with. There's contentment. There's joy. There's happiness. And that's the secret. And that's where Paul was. He learned that. He learned that whatever state that he's in, they're with to be content. If he's not up here, that's okay. He bring his desires down to here. I'm happy. I'm right here. My desires are here. Unhappy. Discontent. 
Bring them down to here, happy, content. Whatever the state is, he learned to be content. And that's a lesson that we need to learn. Our jobs are something that can also make us very discontent. We spend a lot of time at our jobs. Uh, building relationships uh, with the people that we work with, the people that we deal with. Uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm at work for 10 hours, you know, a, a, you know, in a day, that's a lot of time. Sleep, sleep a lot of the rest of the time, and then I've got that little bit of time that I'm not working. So our jobs consume a lot of the time that we're working. I mean, that we're, that we're living. And it can cause a lot of discontent when everybody doesn't meet their responsibilities. In Luke, the 13th chapter. Sorry, Luke, the third chapter. Uh, John the Baptist is, is he's doing some preaching. In verse 9 he says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit, is honed down and cast into the fire. So after he's preaching this, a lot of the different groups of people that were there listening to him started asking him questions. You know, what does this mean? You know, what is this fruit? And you know, what, what, what are you talking about? And they'd say, well, what, what do I need to do? Well, he said, if you have two coats... You need to give to somebody that doesn't have one. And if you've got food, you need to give it to somebody that doesn't have any. And then the publican said, well, you know, what about us? What do we need to do? And he gave them, and he gave them two great pieces of advice to have to do with godliness and contentment. He told the publicans, don't take more than what you're supposed to. Tax collectors, don't take more than you're supposed to. Pocket some and then give whatever you else to the Roman government or whatever. Don't do that. You just take what you're supposed to. And then with the soldier. Verse 14. says, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse falsely, there's your godliness. Be content with your wages. There's your contentment. Our jobs, you know, are important. We're expected to work. We're expected to work and provide for ourselves and provide for our families. It's important. But we can become discontent. We can become discontent with our wages. You know, we shouldn't. We agreed, you know, to, to work for an amount and we need to be grateful for that and, and we need to be content with it. Does that mean it's wrong to, you know, to, to try to get a promotion or, you know, uh, take, a, take another job or, you know, I'm not saying that. Depends on where your heart is. But we need to learn to be content. Don't start getting mad at your boss because you haven't had a raise. Be content. You know, and if we are, then that can help us be happy with our jobs. Ephesians 6, verse 5 and 8 gives advice to employees and employers. 
So servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with our services, men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not, un, and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So we have to have a mindset that's right. What should our motivation be as employees? Well, we need to obey our bosses, do what we're, do what we're told to do. It says in singleness of your heart. Singleness there means sincere. Sincere in your heart. As unto Christ. See, it's a heart condition, isn't it? Not with eye service. Not, you know, not, you know, taking it easy when the boss is somewhere else and the boss gets back and then I really get after it. Is that what we do? Is that what we do with Christ? Doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service. When we work for somebody, we're working for the Lord. And we need to bring glory to Him in the job that we do. Knowing whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. See, it's a heart condition, isn't it? Went several times there on the heart. What is our heart condition in the job that we have? If our heart is right and we have the attitude that we, sh we have, it's going to be easy to be content with our job. What about employers? 6 and verse 9 says, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respect of persons with him. How do we want our master to treat us, our master in heaven? How do we want God to treat us? So this forbearing, threatening. We need to strive to have good relationships for those that, that work with us. Be kind. Now we have to be good stewards of our jobs and you know and, and, and realize sometimes being a being a boss, being an employer is not the easiest thing to do, and you still have to expect you know, work from those that work for you, but there's a way to do that. And it's not threatening and cussing them out and being mean to them and making them feel bad and putting them down. It's not those things. It's working with them and showing them kindness and, and uh, building them up and doing what we can for them so that they want to work for us so that they have joy in their jobs. Because guess what? Employers have a boss. And He's the boss of all things. God the Creator. Colossians 4 and verse 1, Master is given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Be honest with employees. Give them what they deserve. Another thing that makes us discontent too often in this life is we become discontent with our families, with our spouses, with our children. But you know, when we all do our job, 
Families can be happy. Families can be content. Ephesians 6, chapter, beginning in verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. I want to talk to you kids. Kids three years old, four years old, five years old, you can understand. And of course, children older than that, you can understand. Here's what God expects of you kids. Obey your parents. Mind them. Do what your parents tell you to do. Why? Because it's right. It's what you should do. I want you to honor your parents. Brought you into this life, provide for you and care for you. Honor them by minding them, by being respectful for them, by saying please and thank you and, and doing your chores. It says, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. Okay, what does that mean, kids? What does that mean? It means when you obey your parents, good things are going to happen for you. It's going to be a blessing in this life and especially in the life to come. Because as your parents teach you responsibility, you learn responsibility. When they teach you to obey them, then it's going to be easy for you to obey when you get into school to, to honor and respect authority and so that you can enjoy school without getting in trouble and, and things will go well for you as you start growing older. And then when you learn all these things as your parents taught you, you learn how to do your chores to take out the trash and feed the dog and make your bed and whatever it is that your parents have asked you to do. You learn those things. And when you learn those things and your parents are happy with you, that makes you happy. Everybody's happy. The home is a great place to be, isn't it? But when we fail to obey our parents, we get in trouble for not doing what we should. And when we do things wrong, we certainly get in trouble. Because they don't want you to sin. They don't want you to learn to do things wrong because they know you're, that's going to be in a very unhappy life. You know, I work in a school and I get to see, unfortunately, a lot of unhappy kids. And the reason they're unhappy is because they never learn these things. They never learn to obey their parents. They never learn to honor them. And that transfers to other authority. They're teachers and they just struggle and are discontent because they never learned any better. Like the Apostle Paul says, I have learned. Kids, you got to learn. When your parents are teaching you these things, sometimes they're not always pleasant, but they love you, and that's why you're do they're doing it, and, and you need to be thankful that they're doing it. Because it's going to make you a good, profitable, fruitful Christian. So let's do that, kids. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, there's a way for employees to handle their employees. There's a way for parents to handle their kids. And our kids can aggravate us. And we can come down and we can say things to them that's not helpful to them. We can treat them in such a way that's not helpful to them. And that provokes them to wrath. 
makes them angry. Makes them not want to do what we're asking them to do. Makes them not want to listen to us even when we're, we're giving them sound advice because of the relationships that we failed to build and because of the way that we come across and we know what pushes their buttons and we push them anyway. Parents have a responsibility too. And when we all do our jobs and do them correctly, families can be such a wonderful blessing. What about spouses? Ephesians 5, beginning in 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. There's not a perfect marriage. And you know, I can have all these expectations from my wife and just think if my wife is here and, and, and all the ways that she behaves and things she, she says and cooking and taking care of me and if I ever get, it, get her to right here, then I'm going to be content. If I can ever get my husband to here doing everything perfect, saying everything perfect, then I'm going to be happy. You know what we're setting up is a lot of discontent. But when we do our jobs, when wives submit to their husbands, when they honor their husbands, as the head, as Christ is head of the church, when husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, how did He love the church? He gave everything for the church. When we love our wives as Christ loved the church, when we love our husbands and reverence our husbands as we're commanded, then we can have happy, content marriages. But when we don't do our job or don't have the will to do our job, they can bring a lot of discontent and a lot of unhappiness and unhappy homes. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. In Proverbs, the third chapter, it says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. See, happy, content, is the person that finds wisdom, is the person that gets understanding. When we have wisdom and understanding and we learn to be content, we can be very, very happy. The merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver. Silver's not great gain. Gold's not great gain. Money's not great gain. Houses and cars are not great gain. Wisdom and understanding can provide great gain. Length of days helps us live a better and happier life in this life. Pleasantness. Peace. Isn't that what we all want? 
Godliness plus contentment brings that. 1 Timothy 6 and 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Romans 12, beginning of verse 1, says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to have a renewed mind. Not like the world, where I've got to have all this, everything's got to be perfect, and all my relationships are going to be just like this, so I'll be happy. We've got to be conformed from the world. Be transformed. Have a renewed mind so that we can learn to be content, as Paul said. So that we can prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and learn contentment. Colossians 3 and 2 says, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Too often we're, we're set on the things of the earth. Godliness with contentment. What do we need to do? Well, don't allow the things that are keeping us from being content stay at the forefront of our minds. If we're constantly dwelling on the things that make us unhappy, the things that we want that we can't have, don't have, we're never going to be content. We need to bring our desires to the level that God has blessed us with. We need to learn to enjoy what God has given us. And we've been blessed abundantly. We need to be thankful and we need to be grateful. Don't let the things we don't have or the things that we've lost define our happiness and contentment. We can't let that happen. The grass is greener where we water it. This may be an old saying, but I didn't hear it till this year. And I've thought about it a lot uh, the last few months when I decided to start working on this lesson. The grass is greener where we water it, where we're at. We don't need to be like that old cow that's got this green grass everywhere and is sticking its neck through the barbed wire fence and doing everything it can to get the grass that's just out of reach. Let's water the grass where we are and let's enjoy it because it's a wonderful blessing. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We want to offer the Lord's invitation this morning. There may be those of you that have never obeyed the gospel. If you've not done that, we invite you to come forward this morning. You can confess Christ before this audience. You can repent of your past life. And you can be buried with Him in baptism. And you can become a new creature. Maybe those that have done that, but you have problems in your life and, and you like the prayers of the church. And we'd like to help you with that. And we'd ask either to come forward as we stand and sing.